0: We're going to be taking through the progress of our black comedy feature film. Who are you,
1: by the way? Uh, Nobody (laughs) nobody knows who we are. What
0: this is, is a DIY cinema podcast for DIY filmmakers. The idea is that you don't wait for permission. You just start.
1: This is our first feature film, something we're going to do together. Uh, You're going to get it warts and all. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so we just go into it. I kind
0: of
1: think we could. Oh, yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Oh, cool. Hello, Mark. Hello, Aaron. Welcome, everyone, to episode... Do you know what this is, Aaron?
1: Yeah. Episode 10. Oh, a decade. Of DIY <laughs> Cinema Cult. <laughs> We're in double figures. That's that's pretty impressive, isn't it? Considering the, um, probably the sort of lack of speed we started with. Yeah. But how lockdown has become quite kind of fruitful for us, I think. We were
0: late, uh, late bloomers, I think is what we could say, isn't
1: it? Yeah, late bloomers. We shouldn't say that, you know, uh, lockdown has been a positive. But in some weird ways, we have made the most of this slightly more flexible hours and time that we've, had to knock out five podcast episodes all of which i think have been amazing
0: yeah i was like uh, i was feeling i was feeling the lockdown uh, in the last couple of weeks i i didn't have any work and um I, but i was still very very busy it was either like yeah. podcasts or Editing my partner's uh, makeup tutorials that she's put on yeah, YouTube and I'm Instagram. They've it. been great. <laughs> and so I seem to be very busy and obviously working on the scripts and things like that. Yeah. But just nothing that was bringing me any money. And I, I, it was kind of slightly, there's, there's a weird thing where, you know, it's very hard to write a, work on a script when you're really scared about uh feeding yeah than your kids exactly <laughs> you have real life anxiety about making money
1: well it's the classic uh it's the classic starving artist kind of quandary isn't it as in do you make better art when in some way you know your life depends upon it or yeah. do you just need a modicum of safety so that you aren't worried about the wolves at the door and i mean i'm sort of similar yeah. to you as in Crikey! I felt like I could have, e- I could easily fill a day with all sorts of interesting things. I'm busier than ever, even when I didn't have paying work. As in, yes. actually, maybe that was what your life would be like if uh, you were paid more for these kind of interesting little side creative projects. Um, but yeah. then, sadly, I got busy because, again, like as like we mentioned, we're still relying on the paychecks and the. Uh, paid work yeah. to kind of keep the walls from the door i got busy and, and i have spent three weeks somewhat depressed as a result of being busy <laughs> because i'm thinking oh well you know there's a film sat there on a hard drive of mine and i oh. can't really get it done and and well, and it, it feels like this sort of extended period is uh of um somewhat kind of uh creative potential starts to ebb away because yeah. you're just back to the grind albeit still from the confines of my studio and uh uh, with a zoom call or two more than i would have had in my normal life
0: before the lockdown you would just think god if i was just giving some of this time like a portion just 25 percent of this time i spend working for uh, you know clients or other companies on my own stuff or my own projects how dreamy that would be i guess it's the kind of thing be careful what you wish for isn't it really I was just thinking and if I could just stay at home, if I was given a week or two at home, hmm. just to sort all these little jobs out that I want to do in my own personal projects. And it turned out that the universe gave us all more than two weeks <laughs> <laughs> to do these things. Uh, and so, yeah, and, and the reality is when you are struggling and you don't have enough money and you can't pay your rent, it's it is actually very mentally hard hmm. to sit down and write, you know, made up stories about things and yeah and noodle with scripts that haven't got funding yet it takes a lot
1: i think what's what's been noticeable about the uh lockdown experience is how much disparity there has been between people in different circumstances so the um what's interesting i think because we're starting to get the the first signs of coming out of lockdown we're now allowed to um go jogging as long as we like we can now sit in the park and have a picnic and various things so The changes are starting to happen but what i keep hearing from is um basically how intensely stressed and busy all my freelance friends are because they're either worried about the lack of work and there's been no government help whatsoever so they're scrabbling they're fighting they're they're coming up with every possible idea that they can to find some work or you hear from your furloughed friends or furloughed with this new term that i'd never heard of before the, the lockdown and they're kind of baking soda bread and learning mandarin and particularly those who don't have children um and it's one of these amazing things well you're having the idyllic life that i would (laughs) somehow wish for and in fact you know i think i wouldn't waste it learning mandarin and making soda bread i'd be making a film i'd be writing a book i'd be doing something but then everybody's perspective everyone is in their own bubble and it's easy to kind of Say that you know uh, their their life has has been much easier than others, and of course we know that actually our life our lives in fact are, are not even that bad because some people friend of ours is uh, living in a he lives in a council estate he's on the top floor when you weren't allowed oh, to go yeah. out his whole life was basically in his little flat and his little living room you know, ranting a lot on Facebook because he was literally, uh, he had nothing. But I mean, it, there's been a huge amount of um, disparity, I feel. And and it's yeah. an interesting time to see what happens with creative people with, with film industry people as we come out, as it does feel like it's, it's going to soon change.
0: I mean, I think we've been,
1: I mean, like you're
0: so- saying, I, I feel that um, I'm constantly having to tell myself that I'm very lucky because, I mean, we're we're in a flat that doesn't have... We don't have a garden, but we're, we're we're in a we're in the top floor of a house, so we get to look down at the garden like a couple of uh,
1: <laughs> ghosts <laughs> oh, in the attic. Looks nice down there. Yeah, it Looks it? nice
0: down there. And the family who have the downstairs uh, floor have to, this amazing garden yeah. to play in that we only look at. I mean, they are the right people to have it because they've got two very small kind of toddlers. Yeah. Um, so they are the right people. But me, me, and Debbie and the baby just stare out at it very kind of wistfully Long- longingly yeah yeah uh, but um but you know as you say there's people in much worse situations than than, than us
1: you are listening
0: to the debut feature film podcast this is
1: diy Cult. and the script has gone through some revisions too and i mean actually I, I reread the last one and there was definitely some quite meaty changes Uh, Yeah, I kind of sent a
0: work in progress over to you where we have been, I've been just looking at slimming it down and making it into more of a script that we could shoot for a much lower budget, i.e., a a chunk of change that we could ourselves pull together in some way. Every line now, I'm looking at thinking, hmm.
1: That's expensive. We really
0: need that. That's going to cost <laughs> us another, you know, a couple of quid. So yeah, it's I'm I'm
1: slowing yeah. it down now. And your feedback that you gave the other night was great. So, the script that I've just sort of read, uh, you know, the other day, it was certainly it feels like there's there's meat on the bone that wasn't there before. Um, mm. We talked a little bit about it in the previous episode that uh, the Emma characters really started to come into life. And I think in our new world that is very comfortable with a kind of lo-fi aesthetic shot on phone type of uh, aesthetic i think emma's character is taking on more and more and more resonance and and uh in a way kind of importance because we all find ourselves in a way one uh one end of a small rectangle that we hold in our hands or a rectangle in front of a in front of us on our desk and so it's interesting how the aesthetics of filmmaking will have been affected by this um, after the uh, the lockdown is lifted. but That we're going to just be extremely used to seeing stories being told with a very small and slightly low-fi, low-res rectangle, even in the yeah. cinematic setting.
0: Even if we make ours very cinematic, which I would like to do, I think there's still that, it's inbuilt into the story that people share information in this way um and that's how that's how information is kind of passed on and things go viral everyone's filming and documenting all at the same time
1: i've seen a couple of examples of it being done well in a in a cinematic uh context but um i don't think i've seen it in a context like ours where it's an unfolding almost almost a feeling of a real-time event in some fashion or another so i think it's got a a load of potential to kind of enhance the script as it is it doesn't feel like an add-on for um for sort of gimmicky purposes of which i certainly have seen that in the past but yeah um, um, so, what, what what else have you been kind of looking at in terms of the the sort of uh, script stuff? You you kind of been slimming it right down.
0: Yeah, I also added in there was a kind of structural thing I added in, which was this idea of um, the rule of three, mm. uh, which uh, it's something you see in storytelling throughout time. You know, there's the three bears and you know, the heroes of old. Tales of old often had three challenges there to go through, but yeah. it's something that is very it's, it's a rule that, ha- that happens in, in stand-up comedy not just stand-up comedy but comedy in general mm. and and you'll notice it when you watch stand-up any stand-up if you if you turn on live at the apollo tonight you'll see it and it's very simply a comedian will bring up a topic or a subject three times
1: mm.
0: and he'll, he'll introduce you to it at first then two minutes later in his stand-up he'll bring it back and there's a kind of a laugh because you have a bit of recognition and the audience has a bit of recognition and then he then he then he brings it back a third time and the third time he brings it back he twists or subverts yes this pattern that he's created and that creates a laugh and mm. and so and when you learn about joke writing and stand-up comedy that's there's certain little structures little conventions that you learn and one is the, the rule of three and it's a very simple technique uh but it always works and you always see it in in comedy and and especially in you you especially see stand-ups do it in stand-up comedy and so what i've done is i've written that rule into the actual structure of the story so um now there's an element to don's act that he repeats three times but actually now the film is broken down into those three times that he performs mm. that act. I don't want to
1: give too much away. But you know, I, love, I love the idea that basically everybody who's listening to this has just got these very <laughs> weird piecemeal versions of this script, <laughs> some of which have now been cut. Some of which uh, when when they actually well, get to see the film, they'll be like, hang on a minute, weren't they talking about this character? Yeah. And that character's not even in it. And the, the,
0: it, I don't know how much we should, uh, maybe we should do a podcast episode where we just tell everything that's going to be in the film. But I don't, you know, we also yeah. want to keep stuff a, a surprise. Keep stuff I, mean, fresh. I mean, essentially without, I'm not going to ruin it, but Don is very much a comedian who's in the, he he loves Tommy Cooper. He's in the old kind of yeah. Saturday night, uh, slightly vaudeville, uh Wise school of comedy. And he has a very simple Tommy Cooper-ish bit that he does in his performance with a, bunch of, with a bunch of magician's flowers that he kind of does once, then he does twice and he gets a little bit more of a laugh. And it's kind of cheesy and it doesn't kind of work. And that's part of what we are saying in the story. Benny, who's a very kind of brash, cool, alpha male very modern comic yeah he doesn't get this don performs it during the film and what we see is him perform it once and twice we don't see him perform it the third time and then right in the third act when all the shits hitting the fan and don feels like he needs to draw an end to his routine shall we say he he does it one final time him actually doing it is the thing that activates this kind of final shot it's the
1: kind of ending Yeah. yeah We are D.I.Y. at Club. There's a lot of books out there about the story and of course the classic structure of a story is the three-act. So the three-act yeah. structure um, seems to be somewhat kind of ubiquitous uh, for good and bad, as in we cert- you certainly see it kind of misused or, or um, or in some way formulaized in a sort of Hollywood kind of playbook, you know, how to write a hit kind of books. Yeah. And um, so it's interesting that the rule of three is applicable in that sort of comedic sense. Um, we were going to talk a little bit about those, some of those kind of script writing guru books, because there's a, yeah. l- a lot of them around. And for the DIY filmmaker, do they apply? You know, should we be thinking yeah. differently? Or what's your experience of well, some of those books? Well, I
0: mean, I kind of, I don't really... I i am not a massive fan of them, but then I've—I looked at my bookshelf and I've pretty much got most of them. <laughs> like I, I've, I've read all of them. Yeah, <laughs> and I think I probably started with Robert McKee story. Yeah. Um, that's kind of a classic. Uh, and John Truby Anatomy of Story. The weird thing about them is that they're very close to. You know, self-help books that you might get if you're trying to lose weight or change your life yeah. or become a business entre- entrepreneur or what have you. Yeah, in the sense that they kind of there's lots of people out there who want to who want to write that screenplay that's going to you know
1: make them a success. Uh, and and that's not like us at all. Nothing like us. Yeah. No, and
0: and that's who these books are kind of geared at. And and what they do is they they seem to give you exactly the same information, but using different language mm. uh, in a way that. Is trying to convince you that you know those other books that you've read—they had it wrong. My, I, my system is the one you need. Yeah, to yeah, Do if if you use my system, you're going
1: to—it's very cultish come. in a way. It's it,
0: it is, and 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 there's a lot of cultishness around old Robert McKee because he does these incredible talks. That I've never, I haven't been to one, but they're very very expensive, and he is a very cantankerous old man, and is very. Famous for having this horrible um, kind of temper on him, and will kick people out of his talks for you know if, if they kind of um, have any objection to, to to the things that he's saying. Hmm. Uh, I mean, sounds like a bit of a dick to be honest. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like us, uh, our, uh, our administration of our of our Facebook group. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, it's
0: that thing of you know he he he's, he's very much creating his own brand. Yeah. Uh, and but you know, but then if you look at him and people like John Truby, and you, you actually look at the scripts that he's written, he hasn't written any. he no. hasn't written anything. No, you know, so if, if, if he'd written Chinatown uh, and was being a very arsey, cantankerous bastard in his talks, then I would probably go, Well, you kind of just have to give it to him,
1: yeah. yeah but yeah. he
0: actually isn't, he isn't actually a very successful uh, uh screenwriter, he's, he's a very successful novelist about screenwriting yeah and he gives very successful talks about them but he's not a, a successful screenwriter
1: well but, it's this it kind of comes a little bit back to that sort of uh, you know can do does can't do teaches yeah <laughs> which is which i don't think is entirely true because obviously to be an effective teacher you you need to have some insight into things but when it comes to script writing you know to a certain extent the proof is in the pudding but a lot of script writers successful script writers say they don't read that shit because they think it's all no uh, hocus pocus but um i know i mean i mean
0: i found myself when i realized i needed to stop reading these books was mm -hmm. when i was reading one by a guy called blake schneider and it was called save the cat which is another famous one yeah um and he had a very simple easy to follow step by step and it's all painting by numbers again, yeah, yeah 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 which i distrust deeply no because look there's no painting by numbers pictures hanging up in the National national portrait gallery or the yeah. Modern. yeah um,
1: not, the, so, not that we know of anyway not some that of, we know of some of the better but, uh, ones might be might be you know really good fakes. but
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah so uh, but you know and i started and, and then also i read about birch schneider and i was like oh wow but this guy actually had uh, screenplays that were greenlit and made into feature films and i was like wow maybe this guy knows but the film that he had his biggest screenplay he got made was stop or my mum will shoot have you seen that movie with still sylvester stallone and the lady from golden girls
1: well, funnily enough, no. It, uh, probably because it sounds like a complete pile of shit. Yeah. So, but that's how bad I got. I was like, well, maybe yeah. this guy knows because he wrote "Stop or my mum
0: will shoot." Yeah. So maybe he knows what he's talking about. And then I realised, Mark, you're going yeah, you've gone, Don't, gone deep. You've got to read. You've read too many of these books.
1: But I think there's a there's a modern equivalent to this, which is the YouTube t- tutorial. Yeah. And I think I think the uh, the world of the YouTube t- tutorial has has. It's kind of fascinating to me because some of these people certainly have more power and influence than, you know, uh, Martin Scorsese or or what have you. And I think we mentioned it a little bit in a previous episode that yeah that um, in a way these sort of they're sort of they may well be relaying useful information, but they also understand how to structure these short uh, tutorials or how tos or top 10 tips or all of these various tactics to kind of hook you and to addict you to the idea that you've just got to watch the next one and this will mean that you can then you yeah. know get on and do your thing and you'll be better at it but but what it does is it creates and i think it's the same with the hollywood scriptwriter books it creates a kind of a uh a, a constant flow of the same thing because what yeah. i see is that then you people are change are doing their youtube tutorials in the in in the style of other people who've done their youtube tutorials so it becomes this kind of snake that eats itself this kind of weird soup. this this weird you know uh postmodern layers on postmodern layers of of things that basically people um uh, don't really create anything new what they do is they just create versions of versions yeah. of versions uh, i've got Ida has just, just oh, joined hello, us. Hello, Ida. Hello, Ida. So you've got to come and say hello on the podcast if you oh, here. Oh, hello, my love. Go How are you doing? Come and say hello. Don't kick all the glasses all over.
0: Hi, Ida. Do you wanna say hello to all the all the listeners? Hello.
1: Oh. <laughs> hello. Hi. Hi. Ida's been hello, my gorgeous. little uh, my little mascot while I've been working in here. Um, but she's going to go now because we're going finish to the, finish there. <laughs> Thank you, Ida. It's, it's a kind of a weird world of, of uh, people are kind of increasingly be- becoming the same. You know, it's like a Benetton yeah, version of, of, I mean, of creativity. I mean, and I've got to say, you know,
0: I've watched a couple of these guys on on YouTube and their and their tutorials are amazingly sharp they look yeah. incredible the sound's great the graphics yeah. production
1: values are very high amazing
0: and- uh, you know it's better than a lot of TV you see but it's um you look at what they're making and they're doing drone shots of a yeah. nice lake there's there's nothing there's there a story, no yeah. story yeah they're not telling any stories they're just they're just shooting something so Beautifully. beautifully yeah um, and i
1: think that's what it is actually a lot of the time it's the the description of how to create high production value rather yeah. than the description of um how to make fascinating and uh, deep stories that connect to other human beings yeah but at one one book that i have read which kind of breaks the mold a little bit with the kind of three act structure you know hollywood guru thing is um Actually, a book called Into the Woods by John York which I mentioned to you in the past. Yeah, I want to read and, that. One. Yeah, I think the difference is I mean he's he's a um he's in a way somebody that you you look down his list of sort of achievements and and he's a little bit closer to somebody you would probably respect because he's been involved in uh, episodic and um uh, narrative storytelling for you know a good 20 30 years. He's he's a huge amount of uh, a body of work particularly through bbc drama um, yeah. and what what's very interesting about his book is that he doesn't tell you by reading his book you're gonna learn how to write a successful script but what he does mm. do is he says actually all storytelling at its very 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 base layer is using an extremely simple but ever potentially complex uh, algorithm, system, if you like. Mm. And of course, that's very appealing for the. Oh, I want to get successful. How do I learn how to do this? But that doesn't mean that he's saying all good stories, because actually, what he's saying is just all stories at their very, very heart have this same structural and, um, uh, in a way, like, you know, what the seeds of every kind of moment of drama or comedy yeah. is all based around the same thing. And he, he, of course, unpicks the, the the three act and the and what he describes as actually more traditional is the five act story, um, yeah. where he describes the, and the five act he he says came from Shakespeare's time because right, was, yeah. because they actually could only burn the lamps per per act for a certain amount of time, so they had to stop. But what that meant was that it sort of established a certain long form storytelling um that was uh really structured around i suppose this idea of a in some way a person going on a journey somebody has mm. to go on a journey that may well be in a um more of an ensemble piece that a group of people go on a group of different journeys so it's never yeah what what often happens in the hollywood version is it always becomes about a hero usually mm. a man and usually a man Go, you know, in some way, overcoming or fighting against evil creatures, our powers or uh, bad guys, and winning. And so, and he he described that as the two-dimensional version of the story. But the three-dimensional version of the story is the fact that actually all drama needs a sense of somebody trying to get to grips with a new reality they discover themselves in that is overwhelming, and they may fail. And the failing you would describe as charity. The uh, overcoming of that you might describe as a thriller, and somebody kind of, or or you know you su- you can subvert the structure of it even in an art film, um, but there's still this sense of somebody has to undergo or multiple people have to go through huge change in order for drama yeah. to be described as drama. And of course, in comedy, you you still have this because you know you still have somebody going through changes to to create the dynamics and the shifts of comedy so uh, out of all of those books that i've kind of looked at i mean i haven't read as many of, as you and i'm sort of uh, i'd love to have a look at your shelf at some point and kind of go oh yeah this is a well-thumbed one um, but this is the one actually i've really enjoyed because it's it's not a script guru book it's a des- yeah. description of a s- the system that he has un- understood that all stories and in fact not just not just cinema but, you know, novels, uh, theatre, and in a way, what he describes as all moment of drama. And the, the thing I loved was that he describes it as micro and macro. So he says that this goes down to the act level. So within a film, there is three or five acts yeah. within an act this also gets broken down. So, you know, yes, the protagonist may have to discover challenge and they may find it struggle to overcome that challenge. And da, da, da. But it also goes down to the scene level. And I thought mm. this was fascinating. And he said that, you know, even what you would describe as art cinema, still some change has to occur yeah. at a scene level. Some change must occur in a scene yeah. or between two scenes. For it to actually work as narrative because narrative is change at the very very base of yeah. everything narrative is change going from one place to another a journey
0: yeah absolutely it sounds a little bit like um joseph campbell hero's journey mm. i've read that one as well and it was kind of fascinating the way that you know comparatively our folk stories no matter where you're from what kind of culture you're from where they, you know they're 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 the kind of the Bhagavad Gita or their kind of Nordic mm, kind of Which, of legends. course, you've read
1: cover to cover. Cover to cover, yeah. <laughs> uh, All 200 it's... volumes of it, or whatever it
0: is. <laughs> uh, you know, no matter what, what kind of uh, culture you're from, your folklore, your, your folk stories, uh, the structure is incredibly similar. You know, yeah. Joseph Campbell broke that down, and he he takes like an Irish uh, folk story, and he compares it with a with a Nordic one, and the hero's journey in, in in each of those stories, no matter what cultural cultural background you're from, is is almost identical. And a lot of them reference as well Aristotle Poetics, mm. it's a very short book, it's a very small book. It's very short, but yeah, it's yeah. incredible to see that thousands of years ago he put down a set of rules. The and it was theater then, and and dramatics, but rules that haven't really changed that much to the films that we see on screen today there's elements there that are that are Mm. are conventions that we still follow
1: and i mean the way that john york in into the woods describes it as a very simple process which uh he he does sort of mention back to aristotle which is uh thesis which is uh really the the idea of the thing that where you are now antithesis which is what opposes that thing where you ever you are now and then synthesis which is the learning from the thing that you were against or opposed to and then coming to a new place and that is like almost like a kind of mathematical structural breakdown of the idea of change you know which I thought was really fascinating and and what I loved about it was that it it wasn't trying to tell you this is how you're going to make a really good sort of uh, piece of cinema that's going to be very successful he's just saying look this is the this is the uh fractal level awareness of what story is which is some change going from one place to another and there of course like you say joseph campbell pulls apart myths going back thousands and thousands of years an amazing uh kind of array of kind of tallying between Mm. those stories but there's also a huge uh, an enormous almost infinite variation that can be created yeah. from this tiny tiny structure the idea of change absolutely and you could get you could get super cosmic about it and talk about the yin yang and all kinds of other stuff but it's uh what it comes down to is that story is things changing in yeah. some fashion going to the unknown going through challenge going through something different and, and i mean what's what's don's hero's journey in a way i was pondering this What's what? Are the, what are the woods for Don? In
0: in Joseph Campbell's hero's journey, there's this kind of diagram. It's very, it's a circle. It's a perfect circle. Yeah. At the very beginning, he's kind of given this call, which is you know, it's the the the, the, the call, call to action. To action. Yeah. And, and at first, the hero has to kind of reject it because he doesn't think he's got what it takes to do to do it, and then. And there's many, yeah. many, many steps that follow, but the hero kind of ex- finally accepts the challenge and he and he meets the kind of old wise man who gives him some kind of amulet or kind of boon to kind of help him through. Yeah. Then he kind of travels to a world or the underworld or some kind of cosmic other land. Uh, and then he comes, then he returns and he, and he returns kind of back to where, exactly where he was at the start. But the difference yeah. is he's he's completely changed or he has the answer or the boon or a kind of, or a kind of the, the golden fleece, whatever it is, yeah. that then helps him and his villagers and what have you. And it's weird that you think that, well, how does this kind of transpose itself to modern storytelling or cinema? And it does, you yeah. know, Don has to go, he has to go through this performance that he's laid out for himself. Uh, that is mm. something that's gonna be difficult for him to do. And, you know, actually, it, he does reject it at first in the script he decides that maybe he doesn't want to do it and he goes out back and yeah. there's a scene with uh this kind of weird uh chef
1: the chef that my one of my favorite yeah. incidental it, it, characters ca- that our wonderful friend luca yeah. was in our last podcast will hopefully and he be.
0: seems like an incidental character but he's a very important character because he's this kind of angel who kind of appears to don and says no you've got to do you've and don's ready to back out and he said i don't think i can do this what i've planned for tonight i don't think i've got what it takes to to do i, I don't i don't know if i can't mm. perform this and he was just like look you just gotta step up and and do it and don takes yeah. his, his advice and gets on stage
1: and i mean actually strangely we we're talking about kind of uh you know it appearing in modern films and actually i think it's it's everywhere in it modern is, films. Yeah. of course the famous example is in in Star Wars, which, uh, you know, George Lucas was, was obsessed with Joseph Campbell, of yeah. course. And, I, and I, as part of, I, I, I do martial arts, as you know, and we've been doing regular film nights, which has been really fun for me to sort of combine my two big loves, you know, martial arts and um, yeah. and, and filmmaking, as well as music, obviously. Um, the uh, uh, And so last night we watched, as a school, en masse, we watched The Matrix, oh, wow. which when you describe the joseph campbell's hero's journey that you basically described oh, it's there. neo it's, there, yeah. it's 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 exactly exactly his experience isn't it he's he rejects it at the start he's t- he bottles out and and then he meets morpheus which is the kind which is obi-wan kenobi and uh you know undergoes many challenges and then comes back at the end to a kind of a sense of completion you know it's changed so it would be interesting to hear what um our viewers think of in terms of their own stories and to whether they recognize either what, what I'm loath to sort of uh, to do is just to describe it as a formula, because I don't think it is a formula. What I think is that there is the two things. There is the, the, uh, the Hollywood script guru formulas, which effectively are there to uh, give you success is yeah. the idea. And actually I think there's a huge amount of hokum in that. But maybe the seeds of what they're describing and where they've got that from, which of obviously is from the Joseph Campbell's of the world. And the John York's book, I think it does a, a fantastic job of distilling a lot of those arguments, even more than Joseph Campbell. He's not so, so much talking about it from a guru perspective or from a kind of anthropological perspective. Yeah. Um, but the underneath all of these things, there just has to be some sense of change in a in character's protagonist. And those that doesn't have to be an individual as well. What's interesting about the John York book, he really doesn't say there has to be a male mm-hmm. who's a hero who goes through this process. He says this can happen to an entire ensemble. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was thinking about it in terms of my documentary. And of course, what what in a way, I, I actually have a fantastic five-act story about young, utopian, yeah. uh, rave sound mm-hmm. systems... Who discover something amazing, like kind of an amulet in yeah. a way. They discover this lifestyle of freedom, and they come up against the state, and the state wants to crush them, and it all goes bad. Yeah. And it's in a in a strange way. It's like, wow, this is that five-act story or three-act story that, that yeah. John York's well, I mean, about. I mean, this so, is
0: why I think that a lot of these guys who write these screenwriting books like Robin McKee, they're kind of snake oil salesmen in, in a way, because yeah. Through reading them all, what I found out is that you kind of know everything in these books anyway. As kids, we've been told stories, No White and the Seven Dwarfs, The Three Bears. These are all stories that have that structure built within it. So we know ourselves what is a good story and whether we can formulate that ourselves to make a good story is another thing. But, you know, our grandmas can sit down and watch a film and know if it's shit or not, because if the story doesn't work, because no matter who you are, Inbuilt in you, you have this knowledge of what a story is and what makes a good story, what makes a bad story. And if, and if a story doesn't uh, achieve these kind of uh, goals that we want, it doesn't, it doesn't kind of hit these kind of marks that culturally and, and psychologically we want them to, it feels wrong and it feels bad. Uh, so we kind of we have this information inside us already. It's just finding a way that we can access it to, you know, technically write a script, make a film ourselves.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it should never be seen as a template. And this is where I think two interesting things happen with the kind of YouTubers is that what the tantalizing and addicting aspect of the YouTuber is that it kind of says, follow these steps. And and in a way, the, the Hollywood um, screen guru is it says, follow these steps and you're going to be big. But actually, yeah. what I th- would suggest is more going on is just these are the steps underneath whatever. And you either make those, as in all story works like this, but are, you either embrace them and you allow them to become deep and complex and rich, or you go with a two-dimensional route and you just see them as a template. And then you churn yeah. out the same shit mm-hmm. everybody else has always done. Yeah, well, well, I found when I, when I was reading
0: the... When I was really deep into these books, the Robin McKee's and stuff, I found they actually gave me anxiety because I, when I bought them, I'd have a screenplay on the go that I was trying to write as a feature.
1: Yeah,
0: and they were they were just they were just make me depressed and worried because i was like my god the screenplay i'm writing doesn't fit into yeah page page 25 i need another uh, inciting incident what am i going to do incident happens at the wrong page number yeah you know and i I i'd get very very stressed i'd be shoehorning my own story Mm. into these formulas and i found out you know that's completely the wrong way to go i mean look at um when sylvester stallone wrote um uh rocky which one uh the oscar that year you know his inciting incident doesn't happen till page 45 or something you've got this incredibly long sequence where you're just watching rocky balboa kind of live his life and he's a bit of a failure and it goes on for way too long according to hollywood screenwriting yeah but all of them talk about it in their books because they kind of say well there are exceptions to the rule because and 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 it was perfect because the the story needed it. You needed to hang out with Rocky Balboa for that amount of time to realize that his life was in this weird stasis. Uh, he, he, you know, he wasn't really going anywhere. He was stagnant.
1: Hmm. Uh,
0: and then it happens, just like it happens for him in his life and career. This chance came quite late, yeah, and it kind of blows up. And that's the that's kind that's the kind of impact of the story. You know, it, if if you'd written it, that straight away. Uh, the inciting incident happens and Apollo Creek comes along and says, you know, come on then, let's have a big championship fight. It's not a successful story. It's not a successful film.
1: And I, and I would argue that um contemporary films are edited. I mean, you know, a lot of um cinema is is edited too much to the the formula these days that it thinks that audiences are going to lose their uh care, attention, or yeah. of a of a, of a narrative if you haven't Hooked people in by whatever it is twenty minutes into the movie for X Y Z, and obviously there are great examples of that being effective. So you know, in a way, The Matrix is a brilliant a brilliant example of a film that does a really good job of using traditional structures. It's a bit long for the for the Hollywood paradigm these days, but it's but what it does have is um, a, a very interesting universe to t- dive into. But then you know our love of you know more surreal things you know our love of uh, mm. Louis Bumwell, David Lynch. You know David Lynch would scoff at the idea of doing anything on of any length for any particular reason because he he is a a, a, a believer and a lover of of uh, allowing the thing to breathe its own life to to live its own life for whatever the story and whatever the um, the story deserves the idea yeah
0: i mean i mean i mean and david lynch has his own uh conventions and techniques in his own mind like he has that lovely baffling explanation of the eye of the duck oh i love that. that one! yeah for sure the eye of the duck scene so he he he, he states there. there's often a scene in a movie that you has its place and you can't move it it needs to be in a certain place because yeah. it's the eye of the duck just like a duck's eye is perfectly positioned yeah uh on on a duck's body if you moved the the eye of the duck anywhere the duck wouldn't make sense
1: i i love that so Uh, much because because (laughs) uh, you know as a as a filmmaker he he has a particular visual sense and yeah even though you know if you relayed that in a script like writing guru's sort of setting they they wouldn't understand what the fuck he was talking about yeah but to me i always think well what what is the duck's eye of my idea and, and I, mm. I think what the duck's eye often is, is that initial spark, that initial excitement, the initial feeling that you have with an idea that you think, oh, I love that. And when you take mm. that away, and often, you know, we've we've had experience of sort of, you know, paid for projects where an initial cool idea is said, and then it gets so watered down that it ends up just being this kind of. Depressing mishmash, and I see that a lot on a Netflix series. I see that a lot on 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 cinema that's kind of eventually been cut to ribbons. But the the duck's eye, to me, is that initial spark that gave you a sense of that this is worth doing, and you've always got to come back to that because if you don't, and that you know it's the love of the thing, right? It's the love of the thing. If you don't come back to that then your idea will become lost that's not to say it doesn't change it changes radically from that moment onwards but the love the whatever the key whatever the duck's eye was has got to still be there once you yeah. finish that thing
0: yeah I, yeah i agree and I, I also kind of think that the yeah. eye of the duck thing i think what david lynch is describing there is it's kind of being opposed to the these kind of people in these kind of books that we've been discussing today, he's kind of saying, you've got to go with your instinct. Mm. Uh, you've got to kind of taste the idea or, or, or just feel it. How, how does it feel? You know, does that, is, is that scene or is that moment perfectly placed in your film? Uh, don't look at uh, John Truby telling you what page it's got to happen on just feel it, you know, is that scene in the right place? Is that moment yeah. in the right place? Is it the right time? Is it the right, does it have the right impact? I think he's going about, He's talking about instinct and really being uh, in tune with the story that you're trying to tell rather than trying to follow formulas.
1: Yeah. I've just had a quick flick through into the woods and what I love about it is um, that it starts yeah. off, you know, quite kind of high concept and then he, he starts boiling it down to like unbelievably tiny, uh, uh, formulas. I mean, well, I reluctantly say the word formula, but he says this line he says, Oiled down to its essence, the shape becomes there is a problem. The protagonists go on a journey, they find the solution, and they return. There <laughs> <laughs> you go, easy. <laughs> and there you go, that'll make you a Hollywood hit no matter what. <laughs> oh, and there's one bit I missed here because this, this is the five acts. There is a problem, that's act one. The problem the protagonists go on a journey. That's Act Two. They find the solution. Act Three. They return. Act Four. The problem is solved. Act Five. Oh, over. Yeah. It's done. And of course, of course, the problem is solved is very again. It's very um, open ended because in the tragedy, the problem is solved might mean they end up dead. Yeah. And the tra- yeah, the problem exactly. is solved in the uh, in the uh, the thriller. Might mean they get the bad guys or they don't. So it, it's a, yeah. it's very very open ended, and and this is where there's a there's a there's a cliche, isn't there, in Hollywood filmmaking that you've got to really like the protagonist, which is generally a man, and generally mm-hmm. um generally they're a hundred percent good guy. um You got to see
0: him doing something lovely in the first scene or something. Yeah, like yeah. You got to-
1: and of course, actually, this is bullshit because you know I always think about the example of Downfall the film about Hitler. And it's like, well, of course we don't like him. He's Hitler. He's the worst possible guy. Yeah. But it's a really compelling story because you get for a moment what the bizarre world and uh, and pressure that had been created around somebody um, as horrifying as, as Hitler. So you don't empathize with him because you like him. You empathize because you're suddenly put into his world and you get yeah. it and it makes you more disturbed it makes you realize how disturbing the world that he was in was but if he was if he if if you didn't believe his character and what he was going yeah. for you wouldn't empathize with the story and what the story was trying no, to tell you 100% so it, yeah. so there's so many ways to kind of debunk the sort of hollywood way of doing things without throwing out the idea that story has some essential elements to it which are really worth remembering
0: you are listening to to, to DIY cinema cult i mean what i what i would say is instead of reading these books i'd say read screenplays because they're available online You, you there's places you can find a bunch you know loads of loads of feature screenplays there's there's sites that kind of give you all the recent oscar winners yeah um or or, or if you can delve deeper just old, older films and i've 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 been really enlightened by some fascinating screenplays i've written particularly uh william goldman's butch cassidy and the sundance kid oh yeah
1: um, i was just waving to debbie there in the background yeah debbie's
0: in the debbie's in the background <laughs> Say hello debbie you're on the podcast. Hello, hello,
1: hello. <laughs> We've just been bringing in our families. It's getting very casual, isn't it? My my kids. Your other half. Yeah, it's getting very casual because it doesn't follow that he doesn't
0: have the the slug lines at the start of the scene, the exterior, interior necessarily. Yeah. What he does is he will. Um, it's uh, th- there's a voice to the action lines of the screen because because often screenplays when you first read a couple they appear very very. Dry. Yeah, uh, you know they're very sparse. Uh, apart from the dialogue, the action is often very—it's very kind of slightly robotic and feels slightly kind of uninteresting. Yeah, uh, and that's kind of the way that a lot of people will teach you to to write screenplays. But William Goldman in Butch Cassidy and Sundance Kid, his action lines are so exciting yeah. and entertaining, and it feels like you're being told the story by one of the characters in the film. Yeah, if not butch or sundance you're being told by a third person who is kind of running alongside with them yeah and it just makes the screenplay feel so exciting and fun mm. just like the just like the movie is and and also he does a thing which a lot of good screenwriters do as well is you know you kind of guide a director you, you, of course you don't say right it starts on a wide shot then we go to a close-up yeah, yeah but just by describing in a very economical suggestive way not prescriptive he's suggestive. Mm-hmm. In what in what we're going to go in what we're going to see um and i just fa- i just found it fascinating and it's it's weird what he does as well is he he will do little subheaders
1: mm-hmm.
0: for a character so he'll say like butch cassidy underlined he looks at so and so sundance underlined he picks his teeth so you know he's he's describing these shots mm. and it's that's a technique i've used in in our script routine mm. because we, we are all in one location one room so we don't jump from interior the 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 comedy club to exterior the next day you know we're all in one place so in order to get that feeling that there's multiple lines of action going on i kind of do what he did in 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 that you know don morby or on stage or backstage instead of instead of doing an exterior backstage which breaks the flow of the film, suddenly, you know, if you're reading it in your mind, suddenly it's like, okay, now, okay, it's a different scene now. Instead of breaking up the action in that way, you keep the flow going, and you just give these little subheaders. Mm. I mean, I got that from, I completely nicked that from him in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, but I think it works well in routine. I, I read a copy of um, Gus Van Sant's script uh, screenplay for my own Private Idaho, which is one of my favourite films of, of all time, and that script's bonkers. There's just the formatting yeah. is screwed. And he, yeah. he does it intentionally because he wants people who are from studios to be slightly weirded out or, or yeah. put off by it altogether. And he just goes, he just has, he, he uses different fonts. He uses bizarre fonts. <laughs> <laughs> Comic You're yeah, Not far off, but he really goes bonkers on the script. And so he just goes to show you, you know, you, you need to do, you need to use techniques that serve your story the best rather than worry too much about. What gurus or people are telling you you should format your story or script as? You are listening to the debut feature film podcast. This is DIY Cinema Cult. Well, it was a bit, I mean, I'm supposed to be doing this course with a lady called Kate Lees. Uh, Next. Oh yeah, what's
1: what's her thing? What's well,
0: way? I out of everyone, I think she's the one I, I trust the most because she, uh, uh, I was quite far down the line to getting funding on some BFI scheme a couple of years ago. Around the time the UK Film Council got binned by the government in all their infinite wisdom, um, yeah. suddenly there wasn't a lot of money for short films at all. The only money there wa- was was for very Big, a very small, a small selection of big budget shorts.
1: Right, and the, that's really weirdly counterproductive, counterproductive counterintuitive, counterproductive, yeah.
0: and so and so. I, I got kind of quite close to the end of this thing. So far, I got invited to this directors' weekend, and there was a handful of directors who were in the in like the final twenty, and I think they picked ten or something or fifteen to get made. But it was like a fifty grand short film. You going to get you. Wow. Get. Um, and I thought, well, let's try and get this made. And I had a script I really liked. And I went down there and we had workshops and we had a workshop with this lady called Kate Lees. And she's, she's a, you know, a script editor at the BFI and she's worked on tons of films that have kind of gone through them and gone through the film council and she's worked on uh, Full Monty and what have you. I don't, I don't know the list of her films, but if you check her out, she's very, very, um, she's done a lot of work. Yeah, and I thought I thought her workshop was brilliant. I really really enjoyed it, and she's the only one that sticks in my head as someone I'd go back to. And and because we're kind of at this stage now where we're kind of reviewing um, the routine script, I fancied a bit of a refresher before we before mm-hmm. we before we go into shooting. I just wanted a bit of a kind of a refresher on screenwriting and, and to structure. Mm-hmm. So I booked myself on a course, but of course, it's like next month or the month after. So I'm hopefully it's going to, it might not be happening now with the lockdown. Yeah. I don't know. We'll see.
1: Well, it will probably be a similar format to our current experience as in exclusive access where you're sat in front of Simple. Zoom once again. And there's 50 different people looking like the, uh, the Muppets at the start of the Muppets show. (laughs) Celebrity squares. Yeah. (laughs) Celebrity squares. So we kind of probably should start wrapping up the, I'm thinking about our DIY uh, film festival. Oh yes. Oh yes. We've, we've sort of started to post ideas about it uh, on the Facebook group, which is growing every day. Don't be uh,
0: shy. Don't be insecure about your filmmaking uh, abilities. Don't, be worried about what you're shooting on. We, we don't care if they're shot on phones. We realize we're yeah. all in lockdown.
1: We don't have all the equipment yeah. at our disposal. Break some rules. Break the normal, break the Hollywood rules. Mm-hmm. That would be, maybe we should suggest in some ways that they've got to break all of Robert McKee and all of these people's rules. Massively. Fuck Robert McKee. Fuck, fuck Robert McKee. You, but it's still got to be one minute. Uh, that's our rule because yeah. we're the fascist dictators of uh, yeah. the, the Maybe cult, it's obviously. a one act structure. Maybe it's a 19 act yeah.
0: structure all within one minute. Yeah.
1: See how many rules you can break um, within your one minute. But obviously it's got to start and it's got to finish and it's got to be DIY and it's got to be freaky. Yeah. So uh, we're really looking forward to seeing that. Are you gonna? Are you gonna do um, one, Aaron? What, what are you gonna do? I'm. I, I might well try to to get something done. Uh, maybe I'll do something with the kids uh, with my DV camera. Yeah. That was the. That was what I was tempted to go. Really DIY circa 1998. So I've got my um, my trusty XM1 here. The uh, the flip out screen doesn't work anymore. Oh, nice. So you'll see that. Uh, it's a, got a twenty time zoom, Ooh. and it's standard definition. And I actually found a blank tape, oh, which amazing. is just it was a joy. so so you know ninety minutes of goodness <laughs> to be cut down <laughs> to one minute of freakiness. Uh, and, <laughs> but I just think there was something really joyful when I got when I actually charged the battery and it turned on and it makes the noise from hell. You you've gotta to listen, to got to listen to this noise. Shh is that while you're shooting. Oh, no. That's that's while you're playing back and while you're shooting. Jesus so Christ. you certainly want to do dialogue afterwards. <laughs> uh oh but, my god. but that might add that might add to the energy in some way. Oh my so, god. Definitely. So that's my plan is to is to go sub-iPhone, sub iPhone uh, sub smartphone and go for um EV capture and I've figured out I can actually capture it on my computer so I was very happy about it because um, yeah, I think that that feels like the way to do it in the garden on a DV camera. So send
0: minute. us your film, send us your one minute freaky DIY one minute films,
1: and we'll get whoever uh, comes up with the sexiest, maybe even all like two or three. If there's a top three, we'll get them on the podcast. Yeah, won't we? definitely. We're, we're going to
0: probably run it until give people time, maybe to the end of what did we say,
1: July or June or July? End end of June, maybe yeah. till till lockdown is totally done, yeah. and then you know, then it's kind of gives people a sort of a a, uh, a neat and tidy uh, a time to kind of get their things in. Yeah. But I think it'll be, I think that'll be great to sort of see what people have managed to make in the a, in a DIY fashion.
0: I feel like we need to come up with a way to intro and outro the show. I feel I feel yeah. like a lot, a lot of podcasts have like a way of doing their intros, you know what I mean? Like kind of, hello, yeah. I'm Aaron and I'm Mark and this is the... Yeah. We don't do that, do well, we? we kind of just shambling well, is, out like a couple of drunks. Yeah,
1: we all just well, that's basically where we are. But what we have, what we do is we go, hello, Mark, <laughs> hello. and hello, Aaron. Oh, goodbye, then. And, and now that's become our kind of uh, that's become our de rigueur. <laughs> it's not, it's not it? exactly the
0: two Ronnie's, but it's it'll do. all hey, oh, uh, right, then, good one.
1: Well, the ne- next time we 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 could even legally meet in person two meters apart oh, because the rules have changed for lockdown. We might be back in the so shed may- soon. Well, yeah, that may be a week or two away at least, but we could potentially meet in your local park, mm-hmm. perhaps with um, a cold drink or two and a portable recording device of some description or another. Nice
0: yes, one, mate. Nice one, It's been lovely.
1: Been a pleasure.
0: Night, night, listeners. Take it easy.
1: Good night, listeners. Auf Wiedersehen.
0: us on twitter at diy cinema cult or on instagram we are diy underscore cinema underscore cult seek out the diy cinema cult group on facebook or why not email us at diy cinema cult at gmail.com